This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Just be sitting up there jacked with Pepsi. I'm there for the pot goat, you just gotta pack me in committed to the bow early on like i love getting close and putting up you cover a range of stuff on here too right like we call this the uh, the thp world headquarters you know my grandpa roy weatherby i came into like that golden little pocket where there was like four or five different bowls just you're canadian we're doing yeah, a canadian I... podcast my name's douglas Bowes. i'm robbie denning world Candy. yeah there he is hey yeah, how you so doing he's on the same time as me <laughs> it's, no, he's it's, not. He's it's not. Eight, it's eight fifty here. Oh, it is. Okay, right on. I thought for yeah. some reason you were two hours ahead. Yeah. No. It's uh, what's it there? Seven fifty here. Yeah, I've got eight fifty here. Okay. Well, hold on a sec here. I'm gonna. Saskatchewan uh... never changes. That's right. That was the one good thing I really oh. liked about Saskatchewan. You're always the same. Everybody because else la- is different. Yeah. So when last time, okay. So that makes sense because if I have to change, then you're two okay. hours ahead. And then if I change forward and you don't change, then you're only an hour ahead. Right. Well, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Why well, would, um, you, you guys waiting on me? We're here. Uh, we're just chatting. We're just talking, talking. Uh, I think this happened last time we, you had me on too. I think, uh, thought i was running late yeah no uh i'm gonna sign this one off so and then i'm gonna start a new one that way i don't have to splice the two out so i'm just gonna click this off here but it's not gonna cut perfect i could just add a little q marker in there so mock what's happening not much fellas how about we with you guys How's the archery season this year? Uh pretty well. I I was busy almost every weekend. I seen that. I seen you're just giving her tournament after tournament after shoot after shoot. A busy Strug- man. struggle after struggle. 
<laughs> well, it looked like you did pretty good at the what was the last one? Uh fireman's um the, the world police games. World police games. Okay. Yeah, it looked like you did pretty good there. I, I did. I uh I had a great time. Awesome. Where That's was that held at? It was in Winnipeg this year. That's why I went. Last year was in in uh, Rotterdam, Amsterdam. Oh. And then two years it's going to be in uh, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Oh. And then two years after that in Perth, Australia. So See. when it's only four hour drive for me, I was like, I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you there. There's That's so kind many of... shoots, eh? Oh yeah. So many. And actually that, that was one of the main reasons why I tried, you know, went to the Canadian nationals this year, just in Cranbrook. Cause it was like, literally it's an hour and 15 minutes down the road. And like, how do I not go to it Yeah, and try it out? And I didn't go to the nationals this year because uh, the weekend before the nationals, I was in Winnipeg and I kind of used up all my, uh, I don't know, used up all my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair enough. Good to see you guys. Are you in the hunter category? Me? No, I go in uh, the old man category, 50 plus unlimited. Okay. So you're still with the long stabilizers and mm-hmm. magnify. You guys got the magnifiers too? Yep. Okay. I was impressed watching those guys shoot, like just their whole process and everything. It was just, man, there's some money in some of those bows. I just yeah. love looking at them. It's like a car show. I don't want to touch anything. I just want to look. Some of some of my good friends were there at the at that at those games. Oh, okay. So you'd have probably seen them shooting. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure watching them shoot. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Is that your dog going off there, Pete? Oh fuck yeah! There's probably a deer in the yard or something. <laughs> uh, she's getting shit from the wife right now. Um. My dogs, my dogs perked right up. Can hear it through my headphones. Well, I think she just got grabbed. Pissed mom off this time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Good job, both of you guys. It's awesome. Yeah, Um, I, I I actually struggled. Uh, I think you know when last time we were talking, I was dealing with target panic. Yeah, I've kind of cured that, but or you never really cure it, but I've kind of gotten over that. I just it was just a really off year for me. Just you know, I'd shoot one round just amazing and then I just tank the next route. I just I don't know if it's a mental thing with me or what, but it this whole year since October of last year has just been a mental grind in archery. Yeah, kind of like I, golf. I, I think uh, I don't I can't speak to golf, but I know like archery, yeah, I mean it's all once it gets in your head it uh it's hard to to get out of there um yeah but uh you just keep plugging away and you'll get through it i mean that's the thing about at some point in every you know you shoot long enough it it happens to you you have to go through it and then you just you work your way out of it and then hopefully it doesn't come back i mean i i never struggled i struggled a little tiny bit with a target panic but not a lot um so but i know for some people it's it can be a serious thing. So, well, as of this week, though, I'm uh, switched into hunting mode. So, all my uh, hunting bow, I'll, I'll bring my hunting bow out, and I'll the rest of the year I'll shoot with it. I won't shoot a lot of, uh, I won't shoot a lot of uh, 
unlimited stuff or anything anymore. I'll be kind of, I'll just be practicing with it. And so hopefully the, you know, mule deer and I got drawn for really limited moose. So I'm hoping to get oh, one with archery. Nice. We've got a couple guys here. Jeez, I'm jealous. But Pete got an LEH for moose as well. So it took 32 years for me to get one though. Oh, okay. Well, no, that didn't take that long. <laughs> Pete already had this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, six, seven years ago. I just didn't know at the time that I could use archery equipment early season. It's my own fault, but I know now. We see, we don't, we don't have that here for the draw. If you get drawn, she's straight to the, to the gun if you want, but I'm going to, uh, I mean, I'm going to try locking down some land. I got, cause I got prairie moose. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, my brother's got a moose drought in Alberta as well. He's pretty pumped on it. He's he's uh he's been putting in for a long time out there as well. So and then of course you guys will get it. In a couple of weeks, everybody's gonna be gearing up for elk. And uh I didn't get drawn for elk, but I've got so many invites to help people. So I'll be taking some time to do that. Yeah, and, and I know we've had we've had you on twice now to talk about bear because you know you're you're kind of well known as the uh, the big badass bear hunter now, but a lot of people don't realize that you used to hunt in BC for elk. You used to guide out here. Yeah, like uh, like bear. Um, I love bear hunting. It's probably my favorite or most relaxing um, hunting is bear hunting. But yeah, like elk is where I cut my teeth. Like that's my sort of my bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, good. So before we get into hunting elk in bc here and, and then hunting elk. i guess we could talk about hunting elk uh, out there as well you have to is is there no open season for elk out in saskatchewan there is um but it's kind of one of those deals where if you one you don't live in the if you don't live in the area it's really difficult and two um it's very um the open season anything with antlers gets shot so it's there's not a lot of trophy hunting in the open season you kind of have to you kind of have to pick a a zone where it's draw only right right i see so because i imagine just because of how saskatchewan is it must be a lot of private land hunting yeah forest fringe part uh private land access there is quite a bit of uh, you know forest hunting but you know what that's like like with the undergrowth and uh the lack of feed in the in the deep timber you pretty much have to hunt the forest fringe right now what about now manitoba they don't they don't have rocky mountain elk in manitoba do they or do they have along the border there because i know they have manitoba elk yeah like they have it is it is a rocky mountain elk like um but it's yes it's called a manitoba elk but it's it's every bit as same as what we are just the antlers are bigger and heavier but they look exactly like i don't i haven't did i talk to you since uh since bear season i don't think so we no. found an absolute giant set of manitoba elk sheds that just blow mind mind-blowing how big it is i haven't put a tape on it my nephew Landon has it because they're a little bit faded so he wanted to clean them up and yeah. uh, but i'm guessing no, well, this is without without putting a tape on it. Three seventy five. <clears throat> wow! Like the and that would they're a set laying side by each in right where our mm-hmm. bear bear bait was. So yeah, and what's the deal in Manitoba? So Manitoba, you have to be a resident to hunt uh, elk in Manitoba, right? Yep. You can't host somebody from out of province cannot hunt 
elk out there. No, I don't. I don't even think they have. Uh, I don't. I'm now. Don't hold me to this, but I don't think they even have outfitting for elk in Manitoba. Yeah, right, right. Now, so in Saskatchewan, it's the same as with the mule deer in Saskatchewan, right? Because you can't, you can't host an out of province hunter for mule deer in Saskatchewan. Yeah, tails is fine, but not. So not. white, so white tails, you don't even need a host. You mm -hmm. just need, you just need to apply. Right. So, so it used to be up about. I don't know, eight, seven, eight, maybe 10 years ago, you could buy a tag. Um, but then they changed it to the draw system. So you draw kind of like the way we do. And right. um, so that you draw a tag for whitetail, you can't hunt mule deer and you can't hunt elk. Even like, I don't even think they outfit for those in Saskatchewan. Right. Right. They keep them, keep those suckers locked down. But is you know, a lot of elk out in Saskatchewan? Yeah, there is quite a bit. Yeah. Really? Uh, and, and they're in places that you would never think of. Like I'm in the Southeast. So I'm down in the, like I work and live in Regina, but I'm actually from a little farther Southeast of here, uh, the city of Wayward. And, um, uh, and I worked 15 years in the oil patch. So I know that country very well. And, uh, that's getting pretty prairie, like pretty bald ass, you know, nothing to it. And yeah. if I travel 30 minutes South of that, even, you get into you get into elk hunting. It's pretty crazy. Those big hills, and you know, actually here in Regina, it's kind of crazy too because nobody thinks of elk uh, hunting here in Regina. But where one of our archery ranges is just 15 kilometers north of Regina, that's um, the Regina edge of the Regina hunting zone. But you go past that like five miles, and just before you get into the the, the Capel Valley system there. Um, I see some of the biggest elk I've ever seen, like 20 wow. miles from Regina here and free range. And uh, it's, it's crazy. And then they have uh, what they, I don't know if you've ever heard of Strasburg. It's kind of, um, it's a small community here, just North of Regina, about 45 minutes, but uh, it's close to the Capel uh, Rowan's ravines There's some awesome fishing there. But anyways, they have these, what they call the Strasburg Hills. And it's, it's literally you drive from Regina and if you go in the dark, you, you don't really realize it, but when you get there, you're like, Oh, I feel like I'm in BC. That's literally what it's like. They call it the Strasburg really? Hills and, um, and the elk are just crazy whistling in there. It's, it's insane. Wow. So, so what kind of strategies, so you, you said you're going to go hunting with a lot of friends out there for elk. What kind of strategies are you going to be using? Are there, is it like a lot of spot and stock, a lot of calling techniques? I'm just trying to picture like, is it more, do you worry about like, like you said, it's more, it's a lot of, it's like BC is it you're hunting him. You try to keep him in the dense stuff or do you try to pull him into these open fields? So like when it comes to hunting in Saskatchewan, um, I will say that it's no different than anywhere else. Like I've called elk in Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming, British Columbia, Saskatchewan. And uh, it's funny cause they, they, they act and they call exactly the same. You hunt them exactly the same. No, in BC we did them over we did them over horses and stuff like that. But but the actual hunting is exactly the same. What I tell people here is, they do the legwork. They got to they got to find that you got to go to the areas and find them. Now, here in Saskatchewan, because we like we said a few minutes ago, you hunt forest fringe. Those elk are kind of being seen by people all the time, especially like this time of year, they're out feeding in the farmer's fields and stuff like that. So people generally know where those elk are. So I always tell people go do the scouting and then, then go hunt them because 
it's like anywhere you you got to go where they are mm -hmm. in order to be successful but as far as the actual hunting goes um you just you hunt them exactly the same like they they just you know locate them by bugling and then call them in at least that's how i do it i'm i that's that's what i specialize this mm -hmm. is a calling so, so you're throwing you're throwing a locator call out there bugle out and then and then what so like are you using cow calls from then on in are you throwing more bugles out well depends on the 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 where you're hunting like if you have cover or if you're trying to pull them through an opening or something like that which i've had to do um generally yeah locate them and then i try to seduce them with a cow call and bring them close right now yeah. he, he like here it's all rifle hunting for the most part in the draw it is anyways and so you don't have to get uber close like you do in archery like right i think next week archery elk starts here in saskatchewan for open season and uh you can't hunt with, if you got drawn you can't hunt open season or you can't hunt early for them yet you, you can hunt when they say you can hunt them but regular elk uh like we were talking a few minutes ago opens up here next week i think end of end of august and so then you can go archery hunting so then that's when you get those nice close sometimes those close encounters because mm -hmm. you're right in right in the bush with them right so so in the fields how how like are they really active in the fields like will they come out if you're bugling like if you get them like like during the rut, do those suckers come running out? Like, can you pull them out into the open fields? You can, but ninety nine percent of the time, you get them when they're in the fields in the dark and try to intercept yeah. them, intercept them before they head to beating, uh, bedding. And generally, what they're doing is they're feeding, they're bugling, they're carrying on, and then soon as the sun cracks or even before that, they're already heading for their bedding areas. Yeah. So you kind of have to go in the dark and make a plan. Like usually the first day is not overly productive. I'm, I mean, lots of guys will probably just laugh at me for saying that, but that's because the first day you get out there and they're already on the way in. So you have to make a plan. So like yeah. if you, if you really, if you, if you're there scouting and you know that say, you know, whatever time the sun legal time is, if you can be there a half hour before where they start going, then you're, you're, you're gold, but yes, you can call. Um, like I think to the last couple of years when I've called elk, it's always been located them and just kind of went and went and got them. Right. Like in their bed. No. Um, at first light. Oh, I see. So you're calling at like when it's just first light, you're calling, then you, you need to go in and get them. Yeah. Like it, the way I hunt them anyways, is rarely do I spot them and then go after them. And usually I locate them with a bugle and then go after them. So right. that's how I usually, and here the, the season is a little bit later than most like uh, rifle season doesn't open till the 15th. So they're well into the rut by then. And so um, they're, they're pretty vocal at that point. So uh, generally, you don't have to work overly hard to locate them. They're they're bugling. Fifteenth of September or fifteenth of October. September. September. Okay. Which is kind of crazy because they don't let you hunt them with right with archery early, but yet they'll let you shoot them in the full rut with a with a gun, which I have no problem with. But why wouldn't they let you hunt them a little bit earlier with the archery equipment? I don't I don't get it. But yeah, and you know what's funny is because like Pete, we we've often wondered about that, like because we always criticize. In BC here, you can hunt 
you know, you, you can hunt elk through the, you can hunt elk through the rut with a rifle. And like, we have a lot of guests from the States and stuff. And like that to them is just like blows their mind that you, you have the ability to do that. But I guess out oh, in Saskatchewan, you can do the same thing. So well, I thought Wait. we were the only province, honestly, that did that other than a couple zones in Alberta, but. But you know what, though, in BC, they do the thing, they do things right. I've said this for years. I mean, I've been guiding since 1990 and I've, I've. You don't hear that very often. I, I, well, you guys, you guys are doing it right because what they do is they have, now I'm talking, I'm not a resident, so I can't speak for the residents, but I'm talking, talking from the outfitting side of it. They have, um, so I remember my very first bull elk was in 1990. It was August 15th. So you guys start hunting early for elk, but they do it right in the sense that there's a six point rule. And, and the reason for that is be, so that it, you let those fours and fives grow up. Now I think residents is a little bit early, a little bit different. I think residents can shoot three points and up until a certain time. And then it's six points. I think I'm don't hold me to that, but I know when it came to the outfitting, they had that six point rule and I, that really made those younger bulls grow up. Yeah. So how it is now is, well, I mean, so we're, Pete is you can shoot any bull in archery season, which is September 1st to the 9th, uh, where I am in region eight, the Okanagan, you can only shoot a six point. doesn't matter what, uh, season it is. As you get further up North, you can get into those three point bull seasons early and they're earlier. So, uh, it all depends on where you are and further you go up North, the early it starts and you have a little bit of leniency on, um, points. So that's why I say you guys are doing it right because here in Saskatchewan, if it's it, our tag says either sex. It doesn't say uh, limited oh. to so um, any like. And I'm not knocking people that are that are meat hunters, but but if you're a trophy hunter, and and I make no bones about it, I'm a trophy hunter, and uh, I uh, like it. It it's really tough when you have guys shooting those three, those four points, those young, really small five by fives good on them for harvesting an elk and that's not my 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 gripe my gripe is if they if we had a six point rule here we could have an an early archery season then we could just have you know a mature season where you leave those three and four and five uh, points alone and then you're always you know harvesting the the more senior ones but here it just says either sex so you know you know lots of people take those three pointers well they're never going to grow to maturity yeah, devil's advocate on that though. Uh, I think what, what what year was it? Was it last year's results or the year before, Pete? When in Region Four, I think was it Region Four? There was fifty-one bull elk shot that were undersized, five points. Two, two years ago, in an hour and a half from where I am, so from my location down to Cranbrook, there was thirty-two five-point elk shot with rifle. Um, they're just trigger happy whatever yeah so yeah. that's the that's Wasted. the only that that is one issue that a lot of guys in bc have with like that six point rule should there be should it should elk be on an leh should it be open and then just give a lot of leh tags and then obviously you talk about well if we put it on an leh will they ever get it back and like so th- there's there's you know it's it's kind of like yes i mean the six point rule is great but it we just need guys to be more responsible because like judging elk is tough. Judging elk in the field is a lot tougher. Judging elk in the field through your scope or at full draw or through your binos, even you get excited, you know, they're moving around, they're into trees. 
they're really hard to it's really hard to judge is that a six or is that a five and I, I the biggest problem is a lot of guys would rather shoot that animal and take the chance that it's not a six than have it walk away and it be you know what i mean they're walking mm-hmm. it's running away and then they realize it's a six I hate to hear that they do that because I know in BC too, um, back the years when I was guiding, they implemented the three rule for, for moose too. So the same thing was happening. It had to be, it had to be 50 inches or at least have three Mm -hmm. eye guards or something like that. So there was lots of moose being poached, Mm -hmm. not poached, but shot with, uh, that didn't have three, three, uh, uh, eye guards. But, uh, see for me, I guess, I've been hunting elk my entire life or guiding for elk. I find it easy to identify uh, elk and count their points. Whereas I find moose difficult, you know, the way their brow tines come out, if they're paddled Mm -hmm. or if they're not, I find it, you know, to, to count the points for, for the moose is a little bit more difficult, but um, like, I, like, I I guess I've looked at so many elk that Mm -hmm. I just can, I can count the points in a second. And generally, because I mean, unless they're, something happened genetically or they had something happen when when they're in their development you can almost tell a, a six point instantly by the way that you know the fourth fifth and sixth points are um they might not be the biggest thirds or they might have stubby first and second points but they're almost always there mm-hmm. you almost yeah. you almost always have those on the on a typical elk um so usually what i do is identify the fourth fifth and sixth and then i go i go from there Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's funny sure. you say that too because that, like that's generally how we all count to right away be like okay four five six and then just confirm nothing's you know missing off the front we actually have one drainage here um where a buddy of mine's like you're gonna go up there you're gonna see this five point and you're gonna say he's a six because he's got his four five six but he says there's a weird genetic thing up there where they're missing one brow time <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like Make damn sure you count the brow tines up here because normally, you know, they're there, but he's like, for whatever reason, this one drainage, be like the elk are just freaks up there (laughs) and yeah, they're missing that, that one side or whatever it is. They're, they're just not there. I've never seen it anywhere else, but up there. You can tell too, just off the last point, like on either, on either antler, you can tell just that if it's a six or it's a five, just the way that last point is is poker but it comes down to like you said muck you have to look at a lot you got to look at elk to do it and like that's the that's a lot of the issue i think is like you know there's a lot of pressure on guys to perform because of you know social media and just all this stuff and like oh i got to get an elk i got to do or whatever it is i got to get a sheep and like unfortunately there's a lot of these undersized animals getting shot as a result that's too bad. It's, you know, it, also too, one thing that I will say is remember when we were talking before, I've never shot an elk. And so, uh, I've never been on the other end of the, like, it's a lot diff- more difficult when you're with a gun than you are when you're sitting there with a pair of binoculars. Yeah. So, so that could be part of the reason too, is they just see antlers and they shoot because yep. they, they, they need to make that shot. Whereas I'm standing there with a set of binoculars. So instantly I'm going to the Atlers. Yeah, And yeah, so that, sure. that might, that might be too. Yeah. And, and also the very first time you see an elk, the size of them is overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a five point is sitting there, rush, brush and tree. I remember the first time I seen one and it's like, holy shit, that thing, like that's serious. Right. And so you just instantly like, that's gotta be a six. And look at the size of him. He's huge. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, 
some guys get a little they they just don't take the time just to make sure but uh yeah so anyway let's go back to hunting in saskatchewan a little bit and then we'll cruise over to bc here so um like what what kind of, so you, you're guiding out there you're call you're locating calls you're doing bugles like do you use challenge calls at all when you get in? well uh well yeah i mean i'm trying to think about the hunts i've been on in saskatchewan they um well, the I reason don't... i set this up is because i want to talk about we've been talking lots lately about how how hunting elk in bc is a little different than hunting elk all over now we have you on who's hunted who's guided elk in bc guided elk in saskatchewan you've also done it down in the state so i kind of want to get a feeling of just like i want you to just kind of set us up for like you know what a typical hunt is all the way down to like where you know you you're you're locating then you're then you're you know you're enticing the bull with cow calls are you getting in really tight or do you have to get in really tight out there is it you know because obviously it's you know, I didn't think it was be as thick as it is in British Columbia, but you said you'd going into these areas where you, you're like, wow, it, it feels just like British Columbia. So then when you get in tight, cause I know from my experience, like you watch videos on, on or YouTube and that, and like guys down in the States, they'll throw challenge bugles at a hundred yards away. In my experience in BC with it for a challenge bugle to work, you got to be like a lot closer than a hundred yards. You got to be like a you got to be within, you know, 50 yards to really get him. Cause if you don't, if you throw it too early, he's just going to take his cows. He has, and he's going to piss off. He's just going to run away. So having said that, when you, when you're, if you found a bull, you're doing cow calls to entice them. Then what, like, do you, are you getting in tight like that? Or you, do you have more leeway where it's like, Oh, I, I I'm going to play with them a bit. Cat, cat and mouse type of thing. Well, in Saskatchewan, um, I want to say I'd locate him with the bugle and then we just cut the distance until we can see him and shoot him at a, you know, a, a reasonable distance with the, with the, uh, for the hunter. I haven't been involved in too many up close encounters in Saskatchewan. Like last year, uh, I, Cody Robbins and his camera guy, Richie asked me to come help them and, and we had a couple of uh, encounters with some smaller bulls that we brought into like a hundred yards could have easily shot them. Um, but when he got his seven by seven, originally I called and he was close and, but he was below us. We were on, t- on top of the Canyon and he was b- down in the poplars below us and we couldn't pinpoint him. So we were jockeying around. Eventually when he did come out, he came out at 230 yards, I think. And then, and then I just cow called and, and Richie made a good shot. But most of my experience has been, you know, close encounters and, uh, and tight, like call him into like 40 yards and stuff like that. Right. Um, that's that's i would say the majority of almost all my bulls have been you know right on top of us kind of thing and um and that's just because of the cover not so much because uh you want them to come in close i haven't Mm -hmm. i think i only had three archery hunters in my whole career but uh uh the biggest reason is just because of the 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 foliage that they're in right right so you you kind of you're you kind of stick to that area you kind of you like it where it's thicker more dense no, I mean, remember Saskatchewan's different. It's, 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 um, it's not very, well, it's, it's very open and accessible as far as you can see a long ways. I, I don't do a, a whole lot of, uh, of bush 
hunting here for elk because most, like I said, I haven't been, I haven't been drawn for elk myself. So um, when a buddy calls me, I'm like, what zone you in? He's like, oh, zone. So I know that it's good. So we just go to where they're at. But I reflect back to like, say, BC and Northern BC, or even in Arizona. And I remember a hunt in, in, in Wyoming in particular. Um, that's where I was saying at the beginning was the elk act exactly the same here as they did in Wyoming, as they did in Arizona, as they did in BC. They literally, I hunt them exactly the same. Like I do seminars all the time on uh, elk calling and elk hunting strategies. And really when it comes down to it, if you locate them with the bugle and then you seduce them with the cow call, you're generally going to at least see them and give yourself a chance. Right. So, so I mean, I know I kind of danced around your question, but Saskatchewan is no different. It's just the way the, the geographic yeah. area is, it, it makes it more difficult. Like yeah. in BC, you know, we'd always get high on a mountain and then call down in there to locate them mm-hmm. or if they're above us, but whatever. But um, in Saskatchewan, you don't have that. You either find them in the fields or mm-hmm. you, you you're on the level and you have to bugle to them and locate them that way. Yeah. So, so like the elk behavior isn't any different it's just like bc to alberta obviously especially northern bc the topography is a lot different obviously yeah where i got where i guided was in fort st john so it's right in the mountains yeah yeah that's definitely and then up north of there there. so up by fort nelson yeah yeah so you're kind of it sounds like you're kind of you like to play a, a lover before a fighter more or less like once you locate them yeah like i always say I, I, I don't know if people get my humor, but, um, when I do my seminars, I always refer to, um, hunting elk, like being a 25 year old single male going to the bar. Um, yes, he can fight if he has to fight somebody else off, but he'd rather seduce that girl than have to fight five guys for her. He'd rather, you know, rather be a lover, but if he had to, he could fight. So elk are no different. Like elk, if they have to fight, which they do fight, they'll definitely do that. But generally, they'll seduce them in other ways, and that's uh, that's ninety nine point nine percent of all the elk I've ever guided for is bringing them to me. Um, like I used to keep track, and like I lost kind of. Um, I used to keep track, but it was only like four elk I've ever actually bugled in where they came in screaming mad at me like they wanted to fight. Yes, they respond to the bull call, but generally they don't come into the bull call. Yeah, right. Yeah, in my experience, like if you get a hot and heavy bull coming in, running around, it's usually the satellite bull. Like very rarely do you ever see the herd bull coming screaming in. So that's one thing to think too of like when you're elk hunting. And we get back to that antler, you know, the the counting points is that if, if you got a bull that's really active, really vocal, you know, the chances are, and he's by himself, chances are he's just a satellite bull. He's not the herd bull running around because he's already, the herd bull's already hooked up with the cows and, you know, he's staying put. They generally, they don't rip around too often. They already got their cows. They're not going to deviate from their cows very far because as soon as he leaves, he, he risks the chance of another bull sweeping in and taking over, so. So the way I describe it to people and what is, so say you walk out into the where you're riding, whatever you're doing and you bugle and all of a sudden you get an, a response. 
It's like turkey calling. You know how they say turkeys shock gobble? Mm-hmm. So if uh, you slam a car door and they're in the roost, or if you hoot like or a coyote or if you or an owl or something, they'll shock call or respond to it. Elk are exactly the same. A hundred percent. I call it a shock call. And what that is, is so you're going into their area and depending on where they're, what stage of the rut they're at, and you bugle instantly, they think that there's another bull there. So that so their instinct is to be lovers, not fighters, is to so let's say he has cows. Well, instantly he's going to he's not going to run off after him and defend him. Mm-hmm. He's going to herd him and move him off. And if that now, if it was if it truly was a satellite bull, the only time that he wouldn't run him off is when that bull got right on top of him. And then of course he he's forced to run him off. But if he's yeah. in the in in the distance bugling at him, he just calls back at him, and then he slowly bumps his 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 yeah. uh, cows along. And so what I the almost all the elk I do is I I get into the area and I bugle. And soon as I get a response, it might take I might have to call to him a couple of times with the bull call just to sort of pinpoint him where he's mm-hmm. coming from. But I call that a shock bugle. Soon as they start, soon as he re- replies, I know that there's a good indication that depending, like I can tell by generally by their bugle back at me if they're an immature or or a or a mature bull. Because yes, a mature six point can sound like a young bull, but a young bull can never sound like a really big mature bull. Mm-hmm. And and so um, if you have that big deep growl or if they chuckle a lot deeply at you or something like so generally you uh, you, right away you can tell if you're dealing with a a young bull or an old bull so i call to him i i pinpoint him and then i instantly start trying to cut the distance Mm -hmm. because i know that i just announced to him that i'm another elk and i know that he's going to be on the defensive right away it doesn't matter if he's a big six by six he's still going to be on the defensive yeah yeah for sure so you're moving in checking your wind so how cow often calling. cow calling as you're advancing? Okay. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you now. Now you're, now you're playing the fact that you're just, you heard his bugles. You're another cow coming in. Yep. And, yeah. and sometimes you have to bugle to him. Like say he goes quiet on you. You have to let out a, a another bugle because you, he may have moved off or maybe he has gone silent in Saskatchewan here because there is a lot of what we call educated elk. They've, they've ran mm-hmm. into lots of hunters. They will come in what we call silent where they, they, they come to you, but they don't, respond back to you so so then you kind of stumble on them and which which is unfortunate but usually if you're in a good area that has lots of elk usually what will happen is if they go silent you may have to bugle to them just to locate them again but um you can usually tell by by your cow call if he responds to the cow call right right that has you know that elk like being successful calling um, has a lot to do with how he responds to your call. Right. And, and, uh, so when, like, I just used, uh, Richie's big elk from last year, I bugled and he answered back. And then I instantly went to the cow call and he answered back. 
Mm-hmm. And and but we knew he was below us and we weren't really going to gain anything by trying to draw him to us because it was so thick with poplars and we we had, we were so high up that had we tried to bring him closest we basically would have had to bring him right on top of us. Yeah. And so what we were trying to do is skirt around to the ridges of this canyon to try to just basically see him. So so we didn't actively like, we weren't like, okay, we got to bring him to us. We were trying to locate him. And so what we do is go around. And then if he didn't bugle, I bugled, he answered back. And then I cow called and, uh, and eventually he got to, we, we were right above him and he came out of the Canyon up onto the bear bank and I'd already ranged it with my rangefinder, So I didn't actually range the, 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 the elk. I remember ranging the bear hill. And then when the elk came out, I remember saying, just saying to Richie, to, I said, it's 2.30 because I had ranged it earlier. But we knew he was somewhere there and it w- we wouldn't have gained anything by having him come to us. And so we, I just, I, we didn't advance on him and we weren't actively cow calling. We were just trying to literally trying to locate him. Right. And eventually he, he came out of the bottom. He must have been raking because he had a bunch of leaves and stuff in his antlers and he came out stay and i cow called and he stopped and looked right at us and then richie made a good shot right. and and uh but that's basically what i do uh you guys if you're if you're big elk hunters you probably have heard this and this is probably the most um asked question i get at my seminars is so they'll give me the scenario they're like okay i had this bull calling he got within 100 to say 50 yards and then i just couldn't get him to come any closer that's that that is, seems like a very typical scenario for somebody that's not overly experienced in elk hunting. And I say, well, what did you do? And he says, well, I I sat there and I tried calling and I tried mm-hmm. cow calling, and he hung up. I said, mm-hmm. well, why didn't you go after him? And he they're like, well, because I was too afraid to to, uh, to spook him. I said, mm-hmm. well, like you said, if you have the wind, you can be noisy. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be quiet. But I said, if you just keep calling to him with your cow call you're gonna you're gonna trigger something in his head where he's at some point gonna have to come and see what mm-hmm. you're at and mm-hmm. so that's what i always say you just made the mistake of trying to draw him too close and he he was like the thing about elk is when you whistle to him either cow or bull you have to really be careful because they can point they can pinpoint that to to the certain tree that you're at yeah. whereas when when we hear it and even if they're close you know, we, we generally think, oh, it's coming from the right, but we can't really tell exactly where it's coming. Whereas they can tell to, mm-hmm. you, know, if, you know, that's why elk come head on to people so much because of the way they're calling. And so, um, I always say you should have went in after them because if you just kept cow calling to them, eventually they, I, I find that they, it triggers something in their head that they have to, they just, the the even the way they call is different as you close the different distance and i'm yeah. not talking bugling i'm talking cow calling yeah yeah we've we've talked about uh, about that on the show before too and like if you if you've heard elk walking through the bush they're not quiet no. so uh, if you're trying to be too quiet trying to be too stealth too sneaky i mean that's what a predator does right that's what a cougar does that's what stuff that's trying to get them does so yeah, definitely don't be afraid to make a little bit of noise. And the biggest thing is they'll check your wind. You always well, be checking Especially if that you're making those call cow calls. Like right. it, it's not like a predator who's never calling. It's like, why is that cow? Is it floating all the way in? So just to go on top of like the noise that you're talking about, Kevin, it's just they're not floating. If, if it's calling, that bull's expecting foot foot sounds, something. Right. 
that's a that's a great point because here's something i always tell people remember they have four legs we only have two and so they're walking they're doubling our our it's, they're doubling what we're doing so if you are being cautious and trying to tiptoe you're losing ground to them and mm -hmm. remember they're they're all they're generally moving away from you so you're you're absolutely right about the they're they're making noise with their four legs and they're jumping over logs and they're doing stuff whereas we're trying to tiptoe and it just doesn't work you're losing ground to them yeah for sure um so when you guys when you guys had that scenario you were playing out with rich there you were just waiting for him. He moved into an opening and then you got a good shot. I'm assuming yeah. if it was really thick in there. Yeah. So, so we're like, thank goodness we were above him. And um, it was crazy. It was just a real awesome experience. We just called in a, a, a nice typical six by six and a nice five by five, but Richie wanted something bigger. Like the one that we called in was probably like a two ninety bull, but it was very typical six by six. Um, but he's like, no, because they kill big elk down there. He's like, no, I'm going to hold out. So we literally walked about 200 yards directly. Like we're down in the big muddy here. So it's, we're talking big, you know, canyons and, and kind of like Southern Alberta, you know what I mean? The badlands. Mm -hmm. And, um, we walk about 200 yards to the, to the North of where we just called in these other ones. And um, I mean, if you were in the bottom of the Canyon, it's probably a mile or two, but when you walk as the crow flies, it's only 200 yards. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we're on the top and we're actually just talking and joking. It was probably about eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And though Richie and Cody were just talking normal and I just let out a bugle and bang right below us, like a huge deep bugle. So, I mean, obviously game on, but it was so thick with poplar that there's like, we, if we knew we had the, the advantage above him. So if he tried to skirt away from us, we would have been able to see him and make a plan, but he was down in the timber and he didn't want to come out and he just kept bugling. And so we were just going from like, we'd go a hundred yards to our left on a finger and then we'd drop over and over the edge and we'd call and he would call back and we just couldn't see him. So eventually we basically came back to where we started and I'm like, he was bugling. He was, he sounded so close. He sounded like he was right on the same level as this, this time. Cause I kept saying to Cody, he's on the same level. Like, cause he was screaming right in our face. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden he popped out of the trees right below us. And he went up this, the, the, the bear finger. And I just cow called. And like I said, I'd already ranged it. Cause I was curious. He, I knew he had to be there somewhere. So we thought he actually was coming from where he came from the bottom, we actually thought he was coming from the other side. So that's why I arranged it. Cause if he came over that Ridge towards us, we'd know how far it was, but it was the opposite. He was below that Ridge in the, so he was actually closer to us. He, he was probably only a hundred yards at one point to us, but the, but the way the, uh, um, the fingers were, it just seemed like he was on the same level as us. And right. so, um, he, he popped up. And right away, I looked through my binoculars and I remember saying to Cody, that's a semi, that's a sem point. And uh, um, I, I, I cow called with the mouth read and he stopped on a dime and he looked right back at us and, and, and uh, Richie made a good shot, but we couldn't tell if he hit him because uh, it didn't react like a bull that was hit really hard. He didn't make the, it didn't make a big smack or anything. And then he ran and he ran over the fence and then disappeared over that finger. And so we reviewed the footage and reviewed the footage and, and, and I, at, there, at one point we could see what we thought was a little puff of, of hair and in, in the footage. I'm, I'm pretty sure you made a good shot on that bull. And, and, uh, 
I went around and went on the other side of the valley and they went on where the bull went. I said, well, this way I'll go on the other side. And if, if you guys bust him, I will be able to track him where he's going. But it turns out, you know, I was only probably 150 yards across from him and they started hooting or holler and he went over the hill and just died. So it was awesome. Nice. And I mean, he was very typical seven by seven, like not, not the biggest, like not a one eighty or anything like that, but I think he was like one fifty or three, sorry, three fifty. Yeah. but just, but just a very typical, you know, four, five, six, seven. It was just beautiful. Nice. 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 So tell us a little bit about, you said you're hunting elk down in Arizona. I'm curious about that. So Arizona is crazy. The, the, it's, it's the greatest experience I've ever had in my entire life. They manage their elk there. Like you would not believe like that big five point that you're telling me about, they would, they would, they would get rid of them. They would sell yeah. them off as a, as a management bowl, but um, there they don't have undergrowth because of the lack of nutrition and, and moisture. So when you go hunt in the mountains there, there's it's just big pine trees and no mm. undergrowth no grass no nothing so you can see in the trees a long ways and it was amazing i remember videoing and at one point i had five six by sixes in one viewfinder it was just Whoa. insane and, uh, and that's and I, that's what you see though and that's what gets you going and like you see videos of that and then it's like man like can i have I, one I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right because like, like when do you like I don't know about you, but like, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of elk. I've never seen six, you know, big elk sitting there hanging out. Like, I mean, like we talked about it before in BC, man, if you find one six by six, you're sticking with that bull. You don't just be like, oh, I'm going to go find another bull. No, no, you're sticking with that one because, you know, you're lucky to find that one to begin with. You might not find another one for a while. They have, they have the biggest elk in the world down there. Like as far as point wise, like they, they routinely shoot 375, 390 bulls. Uh, the only thing with those is they, they have such poor nutrition that they break their antlers off a lot from yeah. fighting, from fighting. I have just the coolest, uh, story ever. So you can get really close to their bulls because they're very, I, I don't know if the bull to cow ratio is, is is off there but you all if you even can sound like a cow at all you'll have bulls coming from everywhere and so the first year we went there i videoed my friend shoot a big 375 and it was literally the biggest elk i've ever seen remember i've i've guided for over a hundred at that point and seen probably a thousand, you know, between five points and smaller stuff. So when I seen this bull, I basically talked him into shooting it. I was like, the, the guide was like, I don't know. He's 365, 370. And I'm looking through the camera and I'm like, this is the biggest elk I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. So he, he, he ended up shooting him, And I, I'm not going to say he was disappointed, but I think the guide wanted him to shoot a bigger one. But anyways, we went back the next year and he wanted to shoot one with his bow. And so he flew me down there to Arizona again, and I got the, just the coolest pic, the story ever. And I need to find the footage. I can't find it. But so I was kind of like, he was shooting with a bow. So we knew we had to get close, but we knew that we could really call him in close there. So because there's no undergrowth, we were, we were guy, um, calling and we had this one bull a long ways away. So I'm going to say like a quarter of a mile away kind of on the mountain ridge that he was responding and he was coming on a rope to us. So there was an old 
spruce tree that was tipped over from whatever wind or whatever my my friend got in behind that and then i was in front of him kind of all camouflaged kind of half ghillie suited up and we were on a really steep ravine like like i'm talking almost hands and feet steep and that bull was on the other side of us so um and he's archery hunting so we had to get him close anyways i'm using the camera on a little tripod and i got the screen flipped out and i've basically got this like kind of camo camo burlap stuff over top of me and i'm filming i'm only watching with the with the with the screen and i have a mouth reading and i just kept cow calling and as the bull kept getting closer i just kept getting more i put my hand over my mouth but anyways the bull because it was so steep the bull was like, he wasn't coming straight at us. He was zigzagging like a human would do. So he would go zigzag. And as he got closer, you could hear that, you know, you hear people talk about the glunking. Yeah. Well, the this is how crazy this is. As he was getting closer, he's also getting tired from climbing this hill. You could hear him really bleep, uh, breathing heavy. And he was glunking the whole way, but he was doing switchbacks. All of a sudden, he, his, he had his head down because he was leading with his head, right? Because he's climbing. His nose hits my camera and he jumps up and he double kicks at me. And you hear me on camera go like, kind of laugh, like, holy shit, he almost hit me. And then he wheeled and ran away. And I look back at my buddy who's like right behind me in the tree. And I'm like, how come you didn't shoot him? Cause I knew he drew at full, he was at yeah. full draw and it was like a big eight point. And he's like, because it, the main beam on the one side was broke. I didn't see it because I was looking through the, I was looking through the viewfinder, yeah. but the elk nose actually hit my camera as he was, that's how close he got. Wow. And, he, and then he reared up and he double kicked at me. You can see his hooves in the camera uh, as it, as he tried to kick at me. Right. When he hit that with his nose, craziest footage ever. I think I gave it to my buddy, but I, I can't find it, but it's like the craziest. That's how close you can get to those bulls in Arizona. Wow. That'd be wow. a cool place. Huh? I know the biggest, the, the B and C, the biggest B and C uh, came out of Arizona. I know it was four, four something. I believe four. it. Cause that's how big they are. Yeah, four, four, it a, was over four forty. I know that it was uh, somewhere in Arizona and just like this crazy rack like, yeah, just massive. Like, think of the size of that four over. It was over four forty. I don't remember the exact, but I know it, was, it came out of Arizona. But yeah, that's why I was asking. I know it. I know, and I just I've seen videos, and it just looks like such a such a cool place to hunt. And it's like it's not like when you hunt in BC, and you know this. It's like everything's so thick, and it's like the hills are so steep, and like you have to work so hard to get anywhere, like to gain any ground. You have to, you physically have to work so hard because you're climbing up over fall blow down and like just the topography, the, the hills, the landscape, it's just so nasty that you go down to a place like that. It must just be like, ah, it was, it was insane how easy it was. And you could see so far in the trees, like there was lots of trees there, but there's no undergrowth. So you could see them coming. Uh, the, the bowl we end up getting was, I want to say 380 and he got them. It got him in his bed. It was the craziest thing ever. So we heard this elk bugling and we snuck into him and he was in his bed and he was bugling from his bed. So we just kept, we just kept get sneaking along the trees and eventually he got to like 30 yards and he just dropped on right in there when he was, when he was, and he stood up and ran and he, and he got it. But, but that's the one we end up getting was like, it's cause you could see like here, yeah. you're absolutely right. You can't do that here. Like, no, that's awesome. It's a, it's a different world. And you know, 
Wyoming was probably one of the other best places that I enjoyed calling because that's, that was exactly like, you know, hunting in BC, like the, to a T cause it, it was the only outfitter that, um, uh, it skirts the Yellowstone. So we were pulling bulls out of the Yellowstone. So right. it was cool. Yeah. The, the, the nice thing about down there though, compared to up here in BC, I think is just the density of elk down there. Because mm-hmm. we don't have elk up here like they have down there. Like obviously, our management is nowhere close to as good as it down as it is down there. I mean, obviously, they have funding down there that is, you know, we could never match that in Canada, no matter what. Like we just don't have access to the to the resources that they do. So I mean, but uh, just to be in an environment where you're having that much interaction with bulls on a daily basis must just be absolutely awesome. It's it's mind blowing. It's the uh, it spoils you actually. But so how many how many years did you guide in BC? From nineteen ninety to two thousand and five, two thousand four. So two thousand four, 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 just shy of fifty. Just about. I always say fifteen years, but it's yeah. like four, fourteen and change or something like that. Right, right. So you uh, got a lot of experience here you must have seen a lot of good bulls go down talk a little bit about um talk a little bit about like walk us through you already talked about um hunting in saskatchewan what did you do like did your sequence change at all just because of the nature of the topography in bc no um i hunt literally the exact same and then um and i i always say this to everybody else too just like you don't have to be a great bugler um, you just know the basics so that you can project your call. Mm-hmm. And then I said, master the cow call. And, and that's like, I'm going to be going here in three weeks to help a guy. And I guarantee you, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to hike to where the elk are supposed to be. If we don't see them, you know, at first light, we're going to go to where we think they are. And I'm just going to bugle and hopefully we can get, you know, get one to answer. And that's, when I guided in BC, every hunt started the same way. I saddled the horses up. We got away from the camp and I started calling and I'm very active. I call every three minutes, every five minutes until I get a reply. Right. So you're very active on the, on the locating. Yeah. Because like you can, well, the animals can cover lots of distance in a short amount of time, but yeah. so can we. So I'm a big believer in, I don't want to miss the opportunity to maybe get one that hears me. So I walk for five, 10 minutes. I bugle for two, mm-hmm. three minutes, listen, nothing. And then I walk for a little bit and I bugle and eventually you'll, you'll, you'll just yeah. like fishing. You'll get, you'll hook one eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very. I'm very, cool, I'm very aggressive. I'm not an aggressive caller when I, when I'm calling to an animal, but I'm very aggressive and very loud when I'm trying to locate him. Right. Right. Like you will see, like if you hunted with me, you would be like, Oh man, he's blowing his head off. And I truly am. But that's because I'm just trying to cover a long distance. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it's worked. And if there's one right beside me and I'm calling that loud, I'm, I'm definitely going to get a, get a response from him because I would have, I would be in his kitchen. Yeah, no doubt. So where did you learn to call? Is it just like on the fly or did you, did you? I never, so I went, I started in 1990 in the Yukon as a sheep guide and I got offered a job in, you know, to, to go to Fort Nelson to work for this outfitter. He's out of Fort St. John, but it's basically by Fort Nelson. And, um, 
I took it because I knew that it would be a long-term deal. And so we, I drove with another fella from, from Whitehorse to Fort St. John. I didn't, you guys, I didn't even know what an elk sounded like. So granted I was only 20 years old, but I, I remember here in Moose Jaw, there used to be a zoo and I remember elk there, but I don't remember them ever bugling. I just remember what they look like. I wasn't going there to be an elk guide. I was going there to be a sheep guide. And, uh, but when I got there, they're like, yeah, you're going to be an elk guide. They, like they didn't need any more sheep guides. And I was pretty green. So they didn't want to, they didn't want me screwing up a doll she- or a stone sheep hunt. And so um, I remember the first night I was in camp. Now I remember I just spent a whole month in the Yukon uh, looking for white sheep. And I, I'm sitting, Gary used to have this great big table, like a great big massive wood table that we all sit around and i remember sitting there and of course i'm i would i didn't know anybody and there was this god-awful noise coming from the from the um where the boot room was and i remember looking at one of the other guys i'm like what is that sound and what that sound was was a there um they just brought a new batch of reeds in and the guides were trying out these reeds i didn't even know that's what an elk sounded like and and uh so I remember going to the first, my first camp. I was supposed to be just a wrangler for the first little while. And when I got to the camp, um, that guy got fired. So they're like, Hey, guess what? You're taking a hunter. And I'm like, I don't even know what an elk sounds like. <laughs> and, and we, we got lucky. Um, it was, I still remember it was August 15th. Elk came out onto, it was hot. It was probably 25 degrees and they weren't bugling or nothing, but the elk came out and laid, laid down on the edge of a draw and we just snuck in and shot in its bed. But that gave me a look, that gave me about seven days to start learning what they, cause the guy that I hunted with was there for seven days, but he killed it the first day. So we just basically were there for kind of a holiday right. and he knew how to call. So um, he kind of was kind of giving me the tips. I didn't learn to call with a mouth read until I met another fellow from, from, um, from Saskatchewan lived just North of me. We, we he, him and I became lifelong friends. Um, but that was a couple weeks in when, until I met Lonnie, Lonnie was a really good caller and really good with the mouth reads. And we didn't hunt together as guides the very first year. It wasn't until the second year where like we came back to the same area. I didn't even know Lonnie existed and I certainly didn't know he lived so close to me. And, uh, but when, after that, like, I remember the outfitters daughters used to say, Oh, you got to go meet uh, Lonnie. You guys are two peas in a pod and you're from the same area. So anyways, at the end of the season, we got together and we started uh, visiting in the off season. Lonnie's like, I'll teach you to call. So, the next year we went up and that we were like, we ran a camp together for a lot of years. He's the one that taught me to call. Right. And, um, but I, I remember I was just awful with, I mean, I was just awful. And um, I worked at the oil patch. And so that's where I learned. That's where I refined the calling was mm-hmm. I was by myself in the truck just and I, and, and I put the yeah. practice and practice and like, and I, I'm not going to say I'm any better than Lonnie to this day, but I took it way farther than him. I went to the world elk calling championships. I, I, uh, I do seminars and, and I teach people to call. And uh, whereas Lonnie's just a really good elk caller for hunting, I t- kind of took it to the next level, but that's how I had no idea. I was a prairie guy from Saskatchewan, had no idea what an elk even sounded like. I did definitely didn't know they bugled. And uh, 
and then it became like a lifelong obsession and and uh, something that I truly enjoy um, teaching people to do. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I say it every year um, that I'm going to practice my elk calling. I never do. I mean, I I I generally very rarely do I ever bugle. I just use cow calls. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I locate him with a cow call and then when I'm walking in, I use a cow call and it's, it's always worked. So I just roll with it. I like a, it works. one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is a premium call will make or break, you know, how your training goes when it comes to learning to call. Be, and if you just go to any store and grab just any old read or anything like that and you think that you're going to be sounding good well that's the problem um there's some pretty shoddy uh gear out there and what i have found is the better gear you use the better you sound and um like i know yeah, right. Like, like uh, Travis, I know Travis very well and I, that I exclusively use his stuff and he knows yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, um, I remember, did he tell you the story, how I, how him and I met? No. Um, he was down here and they were doing a, him and his wife were doing, trying to sell some calls at one of the hunting shows here. He wasn't at the booth at the time, but I walked up there and Carrie was there and, and I'm like, Oh, elk calls. Awesome. And you know, like, I even said to her, I, she says, oh, she was trying to sell their products and whatever. And and she's like, you want to try one out? And I said, and I actually said this to her. And even this year, like this spring in April, they came back, they came down here. We still had a chuckle about this. She she is a little bit different. More She thought I was more snotty than I was. But um, I even said to her, I go, yes, I'll buy one, but don't be offended if I don't like them. Because I was a snob at that point. I only used certain calls and because I knew they sounded good, put it in my mouth and blew it. And I was blown away at it, literally blown yeah, away. Yeah. And, yeah. and then she's like, well, you got to meet Travis when he comes back. So when Travis came back, he's like, oh, you got to try this one. And you guys like there. So I've been calling elk for 30 years. There is nothing that compares to his equipment or yeah. his gear, like the, the sounds that they make, how easy they are to blow yeah. Um, yeah. like I, that's what I found is the simplicity, like even his bugle tube Yep, is just so much easier the way it's shaped to your mouth than any other bugle tube I use. And like I said, I don't bugle a lot and I suck at it, which is probably why I don't do it. But with his, I can actually make sounds that sound somewhat like a bull. I mean, but like I said, I'm strictly, you know, I, 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 a cow calls always work for me and that's just what I run. I'd locate with it. And, you know, I, I like a reed in my mouth that way I can have my bow in my hand. And if I have to, I draw back with it. It's always just worked. And then, and when I'm cruising through the bush, trying to close distance, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just throwing those little soft mews out there just as I'm approaching and it's always right. worked, but I know with his calls, man, like it, they, they're just easy to use. They fit really well to your mouth and they're just, everything about them is just money. I did a, do you use the dome or do you use the, the flat reeds? I use the domes. Okay. He does, he does make a, a couple of flat reeds that I really love, but I find that the flat reeds um, just last longer. I got a quick story about Travis's calls. So I do was doing a elk seminar two years ago. And I, of course I'm using his calls. 
I'm doing an actual workshop. So I do seminars on elk calling, elk hunting, and then I actually do workshop where I can actually teach you to call. And, um, but that's, that's two hours for bull calls, two hours for cow calls. And anyways, I was doing this workshop and there's one fellow there that just could not get Travis's calls to work. He didn't matter what he did. He could not get to work. And he said something about his palate. And he was getting pretty dejected because all the other guys in this, in the, in the workshop were, were, I was seeing some progression and him, I could just, he was getting frustrated because he wasn't being able to make the sounds. So I said, I, I said, um, I'm going to set you up with Travis. I'm going to give you his number. He told me that if anybody ever has any problems with, with reads in for their palate to give him a call. So I passed on Travis's information, guys, no word of a lie. That fella called me. The next year and he says muck i gotta thank you and i said well what happened he goes you set me up with travis he built me a call and he got a five by five with his archery yeah awesome. beauty. yeah travis and, is, and, he not only does he make good stuff he's just uh he's salt of the earth type of guy so i got a i got a box i was just sifting through it here before i got on i got a box of his calls and um he's really good to me but i i i i will never I told him just this spring, I will never leave your stuff. Like yeah. there's no, there's no reason to. And uh, his stuff is so amazing. But anyways, but getting back to my point is good equipment or good calls mm -hmm. will make you, um, will, will help with your, because another thing too, I don't know if you do this, Kev, but I hope you're training with your tube because if you're trying to bugle without your tube, you'll, your ears will never hear the proper tones. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, so you have to train your ear with the tube and eventually those tones will will kick mm -hmm. in and you will learn it but you know i say this all the time well good elk buglers are for people you know if you just know how to bugle that's for elk because good elk callers yes they sound great but that's not i don't put my bread and butter in the bugle when, when i get an elk calling to me i and I locate them with the bull call. I throw the tube on my back and I don't use it again. I, I, and the beauty thing about cow calls and why it's so successful is because there's so many manufacturers out there. You can use the mouth read, you know, you can use a soft bite, you can use a hoochie mama and you can, or you can, you can use a, a calf call. You can sound like five different cow elk and really really seduce that bull because one they might not like the 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 mouth read which i find is most realistic but i i have this call right here this this isn't one of travis's calls but this call has been on every elk hunt since 1994 with me this one right here who makes and that one it's a, do you remember the company called loman yeah so this is a loman soft bite And yeah, it, we, it, we've tried, we've tried that before on the podcast. We never get, yeah, we I, never get, we never get the sound because it's too high pitch for the, uh, it breaks it. Mic, yeah. yeah. The microphone is big enough, but, but the thing is, um, uh, just knowing what it is guys, I mean, with, with the amount of, um, stuff available for guys to today, I mean, like just with the information you provided, you know, you can, you can go to YouTube. I mean, you can type in how to, how to, um, how to do a location bugle and there's just so much information out there now that you know it's accessible for everybody yeah. well the, the thing with the cow call is like so if that doesn't work then the one in my mouth might work whereas the bull call it's you're, you're kind of like yeah. your bull call is your bull call 
Yeah. You, you know, unless like Travis, myself and a few other guys, we're pretty advanced. We can, we can work the bull call to be more like, say, you know, with the chuckle and all that kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, but for the average guy, a bull call is a bull call. You really only have one. You call and either it answers or it doesn't. But yeah. with the, with the, with the cow call, if, if, if that soft bite isn't working, then I could use, you know, the hoochie mama, or I could use something else. And that is the advantage of, of you're sounding like a small little herd right, and memory, yeah. like they want to make love. They don't want to fight necessarily. And yeah. so, um, I more enticing to walking into a crowd of five women than one. I mean, it just, it, your, your odds only go yeah. up. So the way I look at it, fellas is, is, you know, when you bull call, you're automatically putting stress on that bull, right? Like he thinks there's another bull there. So regardless if he's wanting to fight it or if he wants to protect his herd, he's adding stress. What does a cow call do? It removes that stress. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it works other parts of his body, not body, other parts of his mental state, right? Yeah. It, it, it triggers, um, it triggers the breeding part of him. And so it's, so it's not anxiety as worrisome. So it's a calming thing. I always say, Cow calling to a bull elk is calming. He may not always come to you, but it's definitely, he's never really going to go away from you in a cow call unless the wind got you or he's seen you or something like that. So um, that's why I always say at the end of all my seminars, I'm like, if you get anything from this, learn how to call, call cow call, which is super easy. The And you know, the thing, every manufacturer makes a, um, a soft bite or a manufactured call that sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. So even if you can't put that reed in your mouth, you can get away with three different, you know, soft bites and stuff. The, yeah. the problem, the problem with those are you takes up one of your hands or something to do, or it might get frozen. in if you're in cold weather, it might, you know, I'm forever turning this thing around and blowing on the other end of it. But, but like this, this, this cow, this cow call has been on every hunt since 1994. And I refuse not to use it. It's so successful. Like, and I'm really good with the mouth read. I mean, I can really cow call a really seducing cow call with the mouth read, but that thing, I don't know what it is to me. It doesn't even really sound like an alcohol, but it works so good. Nice. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, well, buddy, I, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. We've, we've been chatting here for a while now. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people are going to get, get a lot out of this chat. Uh, you got anything else for Muck, Pete? No, it was, it was really nice to hear a perspective from somebody who's been around, you know, not just in BC, not just in the prairies, but down South and everything too. So thanks for yeah. that. Really appreciate it. So I'll, I'll leave you guys with this for your, for your listeners when it comes to when, if you're, if you're, if you're going for bull elk. Mm-hmm get a wind indicator. So some sort of a wind yep. indicator, get a pair of binoculars, get a, learn to a bugle at, at some, however you do it, try to get, learn to bugle and get several different cow calls. And what I say to everybody is just try it. Don't be afraid to try it because if you, if you don't try calling, then you're missing out on the experience. Cause mm -hmm. I, Sounding good is for humans only. Elk do not care what you sound like. You could be the worst bugler and still and still get a response from that bull. So I always say, get a wind indicator and learn how to cow call. And I guarantee, and oh, and the last thing, go after them. Please do not stay static, be dynamic and go after them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that lots too. And just that, yeah. Don't be afraid to put pressure on. Don't be afraid to be too aggressive. Uh, 
obviously number one though and when you're doing that is you got to check your wind because if you give up your wind uh it's over because they can smell you they're they're gone and if you're archery hunting please learn how to directional call because um elk can pinpoint you right to the tree you're at and if you learn how to use your hands and Mm. your the ways you use your bugles and stuff you can learn to directional call just the way they do that's a good point too and so when you're doing a uh cow call like when i'm doing uh when i'm doing a cow call i'll i'll call like i'll call you know for the people who are listening i'm holding my hand up to my face and basically just like move my head so it sounds like the call is coming from another way you know then maybe i'll do it head on and then i'll switch the switch the other hand do it the other way and just break it up a bit or depending on the situation where what what i'm feeling yeah like you always want to direct them to where, especially if you're archery hunting, you always want to direct them past you, not to you. Yeah, and that's a that's a big, big, big no no that people don't think of. They they call right at the bull, and the bull comes head on to them. And yeah. whereas you got to learn to directional call. So if that bull is getting close, you start you start projecting your call, say. 50 yards to your left so that you can have them pull you by. Yeah, it, re- yeah. it really, it really does work. Too. That way he's bringing you, you're bringing them broadside rather than yep. front. Yeah. Yep. Good point there. Cool, buddy. Yeah. Well, thanks again. It's been, uh, it's been good chatting. Uh, you got any hunts for yourself plan outside of uh, your draw? Well, no, um, I, I should be going open archery for elk but i'm just not i'm just going to help some couple of buddies and uh i'm going to put a lot of stock into this moose hunt because i really do want to try to get a 50 incher with my bow and uh and my buddy said that he's got two 50s and a 60 incher on his land so i'm hoping that they're still there going archery mule deer the fourth fifth six for sure and then yep and then uh archery mule deer at while i'm down there because i can hunt mule deer while they were down there hunting elk and um then i'm going to hit waterfowl and then i'm hoping that we can get you down here to hunt a bear in the spring yeah buddy i'm in i know we wanted i know we talked about doing a bear this fall but it just when i got when i found out i got drawn for moose that's going to take up a lot of my time here in october and if i don't here i got first two weeks of of october if i'm not successful i got the first two weeks of november so i'm yeah no, I look forward to it, and I kind of want that whole experience of, of of what you go go got going on. And I know over the last uh, couple of years we've had you on the show, and uh, no, I really look forward to it. And I wish you the best of luck this season. And I am pretty Absolutely. confident you're going to get it done with uh, your bow on your moose. Well, I I I hope so. And I'm and well, one thing that we talked about too a couple of shots ago is surgery. So um, I'm getting my left shoulder done on it at the end of november so three years ago i got my right shoulder done my left shoulder now is 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 even worse i have a torn i have a torn bicep on my left side and my rotator cuff so i seen the 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 doctor at the beginning of the surgeon the beginning of july and he says you're a big hunter aren't you i said yeah i go he goes when do you want i said well the end of november is perfect for me so i'm slated for my surgery so i'll be down and out but i'll be back up for for bear hunting by i'll be healed up by spare so i'll be a million dollar man by then good to hear okay buddy thanks a lot i'll see you later thanks thanks fellas see you later Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast, coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I want to take a quick sec and make a huge shout-out and say thanks to the sponsors of this show, uh, starting with BC's premier archery shop, Hardcore Archery, 
located right here in Kelowna, British Columbia. Um, AKU Boots, they've uh, they've been supporting the show for a while now. Uh, both Pete and I, we've been running these boots for well over a year. You know, hunting in BC, we face probably the harshest backcountry environment in the world. We've got deserts, Rocky Mountain, extreme coastlines, you name it. Uh, and these are the only boots that have lasted me more than one hunting season. So, you know, they're definitely worth the investment. You owe it to your feet to uh, use AKU Boots. Uh, use promo code FOCUS and get 15% off right. Uh, they're probably going to cringe because I always pronounce the name wrong, but uh, it is what it is. Onyx Maps, now available in Canada. Stay tuned, guys. We've partnered up with Onyx, and we're going to be getting you guys some more information on Onyx and their mapping system for Canada. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., you've already got access to it and most likely been using the app. Pete and I got early access to this app, and to be honest, it rocks. Um, but like I said, we're going to get you more information on that, and we're going to be able to get you guys a little bit of discount. Um, so lastly, if you guys could please leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. We really appreciate the support. Love you guys. Until next time. Thanks.